Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to Royals Review Radio. I'm Max Reaper, the editor of Royals Review. Later on, we'll have Sean Newkirk and Craig Brown on to talk about the Martin Maldonado trade and the release of Willie Peralta. But first, we have a special guest. R.J. Anderson is a national writer for CBS Sports. He writes a lot about uh, all of baseball, but uh, in particular, he's been writing a lot about the trade market. Uh, he was also once a site manager of D-Rays Bay, so he's kind of a colleague, a former colleague of mine, I suppose. So, R.J., thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, I imagine you're pretty busy this time of year, and, and you know, trade the trade deadline's coming up here in a couple of weeks. It's going to be the only trade deadline this year that is a, tra- a change this year with the July 31st trade deadline being the only one that baseball is going to have. And the Royals kind of got things kicked off uh, in the trade season with a couple of deals last week, shipping Homer Bailey off to the Oakland Athletics for minor league infielder Kevin Merrill. They also sent catcher Martin Maldonado to the Cubs for Mike Montgomery. Uh, do you kind of anticipate this being a busy trade deadline, or are the Royals just kind of getting things uh, kick-started? You know, I think the Royals will have a few more deals between now and July 31st. I don't expect it to be anything major, honestly, but it's going to be interesting to watch the league as a whole react to the single trade deadline because you know, I've had some concerns about how uh, the bench and bullpen markets will play out because in the past, you know, that August waiver deadline kind of allowed teams to have that extra month to fill up on middle relievers and someone like, say, Billy Hamilton, who really is going to appeal to teams as a bench player, you know, as a defensive expert and also as an elite pinch-running option. So, you know, I expect Hamilton will get moved ahead of July 31st, but it's going to be interesting to see how the rest of the league reacts to that and whether we see uh, more deals that are kind of minor in nature or if those deals just kind of go extinct, so to speak. So it's going to be a fun week-plus until the deadline. And I want to talk about that bullpen market in just a minute because I know the Royals will probably will have a, at least one or two arms. I think that'll be interested to other teams. But uh, just folk back on the Maldonado and Bailey deals, uh, how do you think the Royals made out in those deals? I know I think a lot of people were surprised the Royals got a major league piece back from Maldonado and Mike Montgomery uh, when we're kind of used to rebuilding clubs going for prospects. What, what's kind of your assessment or maybe the, the national assessment of how the Royals did? Yeah, I mean, on the Bailey trade, I don't really have a whole lot to offer. You know, Merrill is obviously a former, I believe it was a competitive balance round pick who can really run, but he hasn't hit at all. And, you know, we're talking about Homer Bailey in 2019, so it's probably not a good <laughs> sign if you're being swapped for him. Nothing against either of those individuals, you know. Hopefully both of them go on to the floors the rest of the way. But I actually like the Montgomery trade for the Royals a lot more than I expected to because – when you saw that Maldonado was being traded, I was thinking, okay, they're going to get sort of a similar player in return to what they got in the Bailey deal. But I actually kind of liked that deal for 
the Royals because Montgomery has a history of being a successful big league pitcher. He has multiple years of team control remaining, and it's not hard to see him performing in a way over the next you know couple months to years to the to the extent that he can make himself an attractive trade piece again. And I know he had some issues with the Cubs and was vocal about displeasure of his role, and all that should be taken into consideration. But remember, they're trading a guy in Maldonado who really couldn't find a job during the offseason and whose skill set, while valuable, is not that valuable. I mean, you can look around you know, the minors and find somewhat similar players for next to nothing. So I actually really like that deal for the Royals, and it wouldn't surprise me if it pays dividends going forward. Yeah, I think my first reaction was just kind of bewilderment, like, what? What? You're getting a major league piece back. Uh, but, yeah, the more I thought about it, I kind of agree with you that, you know, you feel like pitchers are always in demand. And so if the Royals can kind of get his career back on track, you can probably flip him for something equivalent to what we got for Bailey or more than that, assuming, you know, Montgomery, uh, you know, is younger and has controllable years and, and, uh, and, and perhaps maybe has even a little more upside. So, um, yeah, it kind of makes sense to me as well. And then hopefully that'll be a good deal for the Royals going forward, but let's get back to that bullpen market. I think Jake Diekman is the name. I think a lot of Royals fans expect to get moved here in the next couple of weeks. You know, left-hander, he's, uh, got a pretty cheap one-year deal uh, for the rest of this year. I hope he'll have a mutual option for next year, but I think most people would assume that gets bought out. So, you know, knowing what the relief market's like, how, what, does Diekman, you know, is he going to get kind of lost in what's a, a kind of a flooded market, or is this? Uh, do you expect a lot of demand for his services at the July deadline? You know, I don't think he'll get lost or anything, but I think we have to be realistic that he's not necessarily going to bring back a blue-chip prospect. I mean, you know, Jake Diekman's been around for – quite a while now he's bounced around a lot in recent years i think this would be what the third time he's been dealt at the deadline in the last uh four or so years so you know you know what you're getting with Diekman. he's got good stuff he's going to strike out hitters but at the same time his wildness kind of limits his ultimate role so my guess he's going to get dealt to someone to be their second lefty but you're not going to get you know a big time prospect in return for him one player i think the royals could get big time prospects for is whit merrifield of course and you had a recent article where you, you kind of ranked some of the top hitters that could, you know, at least be the subject of trade talks, and, and Whit Merrifield was number one on your list, but you wrote, the problem with Whit Merrifield is that it's almost impossible to get fair value for him in a trade, so how do you kind of assess the Whit Merrifield trade market and how it's developing, and, and, and what do you think the Royals, at least, what do you think they should be asking for, what do you think they are asking for? Well, there was a rumor last week that they were asking for three major league contributors in return for Merrifield, and I know that sounds kind of absurd, because if you're trading for Whit Merrifield, you're probably a good team, and by trading three major league contributors, you're hurting your team perhaps more than you're helping your team by acquiring Merrifield. And what I mean by, you know, it's going to be tough to get good value for him is based on how baseball teams evaluate players nowadays. You're looking at a guy who is not only steadily a four-plus-one player, but he's also signed for the rest of his prime for, what, $16 million or something like that? I, don't, I think it's $13 million remaining. And that's just absurdly cheap for... Uh, the years you're getting out of Merrifield. So it's going to be hard to trade him. And, you know, he's so versatile defensively, and he's such a good player in so many different aspects that it's almost going to be impossible to get fair value for him because he can fit every contender. He can basically do whatever you want him to do. So I, you know, I understand that it makes some sense to trade him because the Royals are in a rebuild, and we're talking about a guy who was a late-blooming uh, 30-year-old. But at the same time, you look around the market, and you look at how the game is, 
managed nowadays, and I honestly don't think he's going to get dealt before July 31st. And, you know, maybe they pick these talks up during the winter or next deadline or what have you, and they do find a deal that makes sense. But right now, it's kind of hard for me to see him getting moved for fair value. And it seems like, and I don't know if, you know, you probably have a better grasp of this as well, but it, it seems like teams are maybe hoarding prospects a little more than they used to. And, <laughs> and like, you know, if you do see guys moved, it's, it's usually for pitching. Am I wrong about that? You know, I haven't done any uh, real research on that, but it would make sense to me that pitchers are perhaps being moved more because of, you know, the types of executives who are in charge now. We're talking about people who came up probably with similar uh, reading lists and similar uh, bookmarks to guys like you and me, right? Or people like you and me, I should say, <laughs> where we've read all the sabermetric studies. You know, we know the hitters are seemingly uh, a safer bets, you know, less likely to fall victims to attrition and all that good stuff. So if you're going to trade something, you're going to trade pitchers, right? Because, you know, a teenage pitcher might be attractive as a prospect one day, and then the next day, you know, they blow out their arm, and all of a sudden their career is about over. So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if teams are more willing to move pitchers nowadays than they were, say, 15, 20 years ago. So if Whit Merrifield isn't one of the big names to get dealt because the Royals can't get fair value for him, what are some of the other names that are bigger names I guess that are going to be at least chopped at the deadline and and who do you like what teams do you expect to be maybe the bigger mover and shakers uh, come July 31st yeah so if we're talking about hitters and pitchers and I do think this is a very pitcher loaded market then I think you have to throw out names like Madison Bumgarner and uh, maybe even Trevor Bauer Marcus Stroman Matthew Boyd I know I had Noah Syndergaard ranked as the number one potential pitcher move and then there's just a ton of relievers I mean you look at the San Francisco Giants, and if they do decide to sell, basically their entire bullpen could be moved. Uh, the Texas Rangers have Mike Miner and uh, Chris Martin, who I think will get moved. And uh, the Miami Marlins, you know, for a team as bad as the Miami Marlins, they have potentially seven or eight arms on the trade market, and all of them are kind of intriguing, including Trevor Richards, who has one of the best change-ups in baseball and has shown to be a league average starter. And, you know, he has like five years of control remaining. So if you're a contender looking for a long-term middle-of-the-rotation piece, you might call about him. But uh, with regards to which teams are going to be the most active, you know, it's going to be the names we all think about. You know, the Yankees are certainly out there shopping around for starters and also some top-flight relievers. Uh, You know, you can talk about the Houston Astros. They're seeking rotation help. Obviously, in the Central, the Minnesota Twins are trying to keep pace. I know the Tampa Bay Rays have been connected to basically every available arm, including some of the top names as well, but it's a matter of whether they'll get over their self-imposed budgetary limits to make a deal. And then in the National League, I mean, what, 12 of the 15 teams are within, what, five games of a playoff spot. So, you know, you can basically name whatever National League team you want. They're probably involved in the market some way or another. And with the July 31st trade deadline, too, I mean, that kind of forces teams to make a decision a little earlier, I think, than they usually would. I mean, there's some teams that are kind of on the periphery, you know, I know the Giants got a little bit hot, and there's some talk. Maybe they won't sell after all, but um, and I think some recent reports that they actually they, they they're still going to go through with selling some of those or you know trading away some of their veteran players. And other Rangers and Angels are kind of on the periphery. What do what do teams like in those situations do? I mean, are they just going to uh, kind of still stay be in a wait and see mode, or how do they approach the July 31st deadline? You know, if we're talking specifically about a team like the Rangers, I do think they will sell because I think they have to be realistic about their chances and I think they have to be realistic about what the next year is going to bring you know remember that's a team that's opening up a new ballpark next season and I anticipate they're going to go spend some money this winter 
But right now, you know, you have a guy like Chris Martin. Well, he's an impending free agent. He's like a 33-year-old right-handed reliever who you signed out of, I believe it was Japan, before last season. You know, this was not a guy who was on anyone's radar. Why wouldn't you cast in on him right now? And, you know, if you're a team like the Giants, you have to be somber and uh, you have to be sober about, you know, what exactly your team's capable of doing. And when you look at their season-long run differential, well, it's nothing special. You know, it's like negative 40-something right there with the Padres and the Rockies and below a number of teams who we would say, ah, they shouldn't be buying at the deadline. And, you know, Farhan's 80, and this is his first deadline as a general manager, and I think he is, I think he's smart enough to kind of realize that despite this hot streak, this roster is not really that good. And I think that they're going to look to, you know, trade Bumgarner, trade Tony Watson and Will Smith, and, you know, maybe Sam Dyson as well, and, you know, try to restock that farm system, which isn't too good. But I think the most interesting team to me, honestly, is the Cincinnati Reds. Because if you look at their run differential, they've been around the top dozen teams in baseball all season long, but they've, they've also been in last place most of the season. And, you know, they went out last winter and acquired a number of impending free agents, guys like Yasiel Puig, who realistically might be the top hitter available if Mary fills off the market. And guys like Alex Wood, who hasn't pitched for him yet, and Tanner Roark. And, you know, if you're the Reds, do you, do you hold on to those guys and hope that you know, the next few months you can actually make a run and your record will start to resemble your run differential? Or do you trade them and say, you know what, we gave it our best run for whatever reason it didn't take, and come next winter we're going to do it all over again. But, you know, we just have to be realistic about what's happening and what our team has shown on the field. So, you know, it's interesting, and I think every situation is a little different, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if you see some of these fringe contenders switch to sell mode just because, you know, you look around at, who the obvious sellers are. And again, we mentioned most of the National League is in the race, so you're probably not going to have a ton of sellers there. But, you know, there are five really bad teams in baseball, and they can't fill every team's, every contender's wants or needs, you know. If they were able to do so, they would be better than what they are. So I think you're going to see a couple of those fringe contenders switch to sell mode, try to take advantage of the market. And it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, at the end of the day, we have a more busy deadline than it appeared it would be about a month ago. Yeah, that National League will be really interesting just because you have the Dodgers that are like so much better than everyone else right now. But all the, there's this, this big logjam of other teams, and I guess a lot of those teams are going to have to make a decision. Like, can we compete, you know, or do or do we want to just make the playoffs? Do we think we can knock off the Dodgers in a short series, or do we just kind of punt on this year and continue with the rebuild? Or, or, or you know, and the Reds, like you say, are really interesting too because they made some really interesting moves this past off season to try to get back into contention. And like you say, it's they've been competitive as far as run differential. It just hasn't translated to wins yet, and, and maybe they're due for a big second half. But uh, we'll see. I, I, th- I think you're right. It could lead to a really interesting uh, trade deadline. Uh, before we wrap up, I did want to kind of talk about another article you wrote recently about uh, expansion in baseball. And I know you used to write a lot about the Rays, and, of course, we had the news report a couple weeks ago about how the Rays are considering playing some of their games in Montreal. And, of course, Montreal has been talked about a lot as far as a potential expansion site. Give your assessment of like where baseball is with expansion right now. I know Commissioner Manfred has at least mentioned it, but how close are we to adding two more teams to, to the league? You know, I think we're still a ways off because, you know, baseball wants to get new stadiums built for the Rays, wherever those stadiums are located, and whether they're plural stadiums or just one stadium is beyond me, but they want to get that situation tucked away, and they also want a resolution out in Oakland with the Athletics. And if you read the tea leaves, you know, they're beginning the same process with the Angels and the Diamondbacks to get new stadiums built. And one of the reasons that they would hold off on expanding until after those situations are resolved 
is you know the obvious leverage that having a, a viable open market like Montreal or Portland presents. You know, if you're if you're Rick Reisman, um, the St. Pete mayor, right? And you know, baseball says, okay, here's an expansion team from Montreal and here's one from Portland. All of a sudden, you're saying, okay, well, those are the most two viable markets left, right? So. You know, there goes some of your leverage if you're the Rays and if you're Major League Baseball. You know, at the same time, though, I do think that uh, at some point in the near future, you're going to see baseball expand by two more teams. You know, the NHL is doing it in the coming years, and NFL has already done it. And it just makes sense if you're baseball to go ahead and, you know, add those two extra teams. And, uh, you know, I guess the real thing is, you know, the economics of the game. Baseball is, how do I put this, uh, Money driven, and you know the owners <laughs> are going to look at that. Ex- yeah, they're going to look at that billion dollar expansion fee or whatever they're going to ask these new clubs for, and it's going to be too overwhelming to say no to. So, you know, I do think expansion at some point will happen, and you know, I want to shout out Raleigh too because that's another big piece of the article, and they are so different than what's going on in Portland, Montreal, and these other markets that you hear about because they're not led by a money man, and they're not. Uh, you know, pursuing a team top down. You know, they're not talking about stadium deals and all that. They're actually focused on building from the bottom up. And it's an interesting approach. You know, they're selling merchandise, but that money goes to help restore local fields and to the Boys and Girls Club and stuff like that. And it's just kind of a breath of fresh air because it's like they're trying to inject baseball into their community in a way where they don't have to deal with the bitter aftertaste of the business side of baseball. And if you've been paying attention to the business side of baseball in recent years, you're probably tired of hearing about it. <laughs> you know, we have talk about collusion. We have talk about lockout. We have so many negative things that stem from the business side of baseball. And it's just kind of refreshing to see a community want to enjoy baseball for the sake of enjoying baseball and perhaps not falling victim to some of the nastiness that comes with the business side. And it's, I think also you always want to kind of grow your sport and expand your sport and go into markets that you're not currently in. And so that, you know, I think that makes a lot of sense. And this is like the longest period baseball has gone without expansion since they started expanding in 1961. What is interesting, I think, uh, just looking back at the history, I was like, baseball has only ever expanded in response to like litigation or or some sorts. Like 61 was, uh, I believe, in response to the continental rival continental baseball association uh you know kind of they wanted to get started a rival league and so they baseball quickly said okay we're expanding to like houston and new york uh 69 when the royals came into existence was because the a's left and and a powerful missouri senator said well we need another team in kansas city or else we're going to open up antitrust hearings 77 was because uh seattle the seattle pilots moved after one year so they had to create the mariners uh 93 i believe was uh to pay off the collusion settlement from uh, colluding against free agents, so they had to get those expansion fees. And then '98 was the uh, was they blocked the the Giants from moving to Tampa, and so they reward, awarded uh, uh, Tampa another team as as a way of settling. So baseball kind of only seems to expand when they need to, and maybe you know if with a work stoppage possibly looming, that'll be the can of hand that that says, okay, you need those expansion fees to kind of build your sport back up and maybe grow in a couple other new markets, uh, you know. I'd hate for that. <laughs> I'd hate for that to happen, but maybe that's what eventually forces the hand for expansion. But in any, you know, in any case, I would like to see. I think baseball expand eventually. I think Montreal is a great, great town. Raleigh uh, in the Carroll, Carolina area, I think is a really great area. Portland, I think, is an awesome city if they're willing to to have a baseball team. So a lot of really great choices out there. We'll have to see what baseball does over the next couple of years. But RJ, you know, in the meantime, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll link definitely to your expansion article. But where else can we find uh, your work? 
yeah, so you can find all my work at cbssports.com slash MLB. Uh, not just me, also Dane Perry, who's probably one of the funniest and uh, most talented baseball writers there is. Matt Snyder, uh, Mike Exiza, and Catherine. I don't want to butcher her last name, so I'm just going to say Catherine A. And, you know, it's a good group, and hopefully uh, if you go and visit the page, you'll see a lot of uh, quality content. You know, we try to cover every aspect of the game, including prospects on up. And, yeah, I mean, I enjoy working with them. If that's any, uh, any enticement to visit the page. And I'm sure you'll have all the coverage of all the trades that happen uh, leading up to the July 31st trade deadline. So definitely check that out and follow RJ on Twitter. And, uh, RJ, thanks so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for having me. All right. When we come back, we'll have Sean and Craig on to discuss whether Ian Kennedy could find himself dealt at the deadline only if the Royals eat some money. We'll be back. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. And we're back. And uh, joining me now is Sean Newkirk. Sean, are you ready for the trade deadline? Man, my stove, my stove has been heating up. It's ready. I could put some ramen. I could boil some eggs. Let's let's get it going. <laughs> is it hot stove? Is the hot stove limited to only the winter? It's it's any time that there's market activity, I right? I feel like it's the more of a winter thing. But um, when the stove is hot, it's hot. I mean, you can't yeah. deny what you season can't cool, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> also joining us as a, a Craig Brown. Craig Brown, what are your sources telling you about the July trade deadline this year? Trades, Max. Let's count on it. Book it, 100%. <laughs> Jerry DePoto is going to do a trade at some yeah. point. I, we can always count on him. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's probably a safe bet. Well, the Royals already made a trade. In fact, they made two trades. I guess three trades if you want to count the Terrence Gore deal. Uh, and last week we did discuss the Homer-Bailey trade a little bit, but just as we were finishing up recording our podcast, we got word that Martin Maldonado was also being traded. And in fact, he was dealt to the Cubs for 30-year-old left-hander uh, left-handed pitcher Mike Montgomery, and you may remember Montgomery from his time in the Royals organization before. He was a first-round pick for the Royals in 2008, was traded to the Rays as part of the James Shield trade, eventually ended up with the Chicago Cubs, where he's a pretty serviceable swingman for a couple years there. From 2016 to 2018, he had a 3.35 ERA, a 126 ERA+, plus, and he made 40 starts and 91 relief appearances. And he also recorded the final out of the 2016 World Series. But this year, when it was clear that he was not going to make the Cubs rotation, he asked for a trade, kind of battled through some shoulder problems, and struggled a lot of this year with a 5.67 ERA in 27 innings with the Cubs. So, Sean, it was a pretty surprising return from Maldonado, because uh, I think a lot of us were expecting like a prospect. So what do, what's kind of your assessment of the trade now that you've had a little time to digest it? Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. I don't. I, I wouldn't say it's classic Dayton more, but it is one of those where it's like, like, I don't know what we were necessarily expecting with, like, the Kelvin Herrera trade. Like, yeah, they got prospects, but they were, like, very 
I don't know. They, they were very more kind of type prospects. And, like, so this was another, like, all, all of us were expecting kind of some sort of double-A prospect. Like, the uh, like Kevin Merrill is a really good example of kind of, like, what you would expect. And it's like, oh, it's a 30-year-old pitcher that we've kind of already seen before and everything and, you know, isn't having a good year. So, yeah. It was surprising, to say the least, and I'm happy uh, that Montgomery got to join his old org again. I mean, he's he was doing okay with Chicago winning the World Series. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's it's interesting, to say the least. I'm not sure I said – obviously, I said back at the time I didn't exactly love it. Uh, it's interesting, uh, at least, and we'll see. It would be a really – and he wouldn't have been he wouldn't have been traded anyways. He would have really been a disaster if it was just one year. But since it's a second year or a year and a half they have with him, uh, then yeah, I, two, I think I think it's two. He's got two years. Oh yeah, yeah, year. right, right. Uh, so there's that reasonable like okay, at least it's not like super shorter term. Uh, you know, like when they acquired Solaire, they had Solaire for whatever is four plus years. Um, so you could foresee Montgomery bouncing back being good you know a year from now at the deadline and returning something that would hopefully be better than what they paid for him um so it's it's interesting to say the least and i guess i was first kind of taken aback just because it was such a surprising deal i think we've just been kind of trained that rebuilding clubs get younger players when they make trades especially when they trade off rentals uh and craig i think the royals you know the more i thought about it more the more i kind of see where they're coming from you know, Montgomery does have two more years under club control, and and pitchers do seem to net more than than any other position, uh, especially more than catchers. So it seems like the Royals are kind of banking on Montgomery to have enough trade value in the next two years to be able to flip him for more than what they would have gotten from Aldonado. Is that you think that's a gamble worth taking, or is this maybe a step in the wrong direction? I think that's a, a reasonable assessment uh, to make, and and like Sean mentioned with the. With the two years of control remaining beyond this season, uh, the Royals could flip them at any point next year ahead of the deadline and probably do better. As, you know, of course, it's all dependent on his performance between now and then. But yeah, it's, so it's a it's a risk worth taking. I would imagine that they shot Maldonado around and were kind of underwhelmed by any kind of potential prospect return, and you know just decided, hey, let's you know roll the dice here and see uh, you know if we can increase the return. I, I mean, for me, that's kind of you know what I'm looking at going forward. I, I think it's you know that that move. It's you know it's the classic. This move is setting up another move somewhere down the line. We'll see what that move is. We'll and we'll be able to, to gauge subsequent move whether it's next year or the year after. You know, another part of the trade that, that I thought, you know, uh, kind of Dayton needed to make was, you know, uh, the aforementioned Homer Bailey deal. They took a guy out of the rotation who, you know, was giving them consistent innings, uh, and they needed to replace those innings. Now, of course, Montgomery needs to be stretched out as a starter and, and so on and so forth, but, you know, maybe by mid-August he's, you know, ready to go, 80 pitches, 90 pitches. And, you know, the, the Royals, you know, find value in that. They find value in being able to hand the ball to a guy every fifth day. And, you know, we, we can debate whether or not that's, you know, something that you need to find value with on a rebuilding team like the Royals. But I, I think that that's organizationally, that's a place where, you know, they have a focus. And I and so, you know, once uh, once Bailey was sent to Oakland, I think that they kind of, you know, re readjusted their focus a little bit and uh, settled on this direction. 
And I don't. I want to add that I don't think it's too hard to foresee Montgomery's value being higher. It, I mean, if we want to talk finance, it's 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 hopefully buy low, sell high. And I don't see it would be tough to see Montgomery's value being lower necessarily than it is now, just because he's been pretty poor this year. So even if he's twenty percent better than he is now, you should get something twenty-ish percent better than Maldonado. You know, less the year of control that extra. So there's some factors in there, but it's not for, it's not hard to foresee him being worth more now than he is being worth more a year from now than today. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, trying him out as a starter is smart. I think, you know, obviously he's, he's made some starts in the past. He wasn't terrible as a starter with the Cubs. I think he had like a 4.03 ERA and like 40 starts with them. So he's, he's shown an ability to do it. He keeps the ball on the ground. So that makes him a little, I guess, less susceptible to the long ball uh, in this era so I think it's worth trying, and if, and if it doesn't work out, I mean, he can always fall back as a reliever, and he has pitched pretty well out of the bullpen. Now, he has struggled this year, and I think the risk is that he continues to struggle and is eventually a non-tender candidate here in a year or two, and you don't get anything for him. But I think that risk is is not so great that you don't take take the chance here. And, and look, we can, you know, Maldonado has been traded before. Last year, he was traded from the Angels to the Astros, or excuse me, yeah, the Angels to the Astros. Uh, for Patrick Sandoval, a pitcher, a young pitcher, a prospect, uh, who at the time looked like a pretty good prospect. I think he ended up being in the top 20 prospect list for the Angels. But he's gotten destroyed in AAA this year. Now, some of that's just AAA is, is kind of a silly ball uh, league this year. But he's really struggled, and, he's, and, and the shine's kind of worn off him a little bit. So, you know, these prospects, you know, as we well know from a lot of the research on our site, they fail a lot. Um, and... And getting a guy like Montgomery, uh, the upside certainly isn't as high. But um, but you know, I think I think your your analogy to using as a stock is, is pretty apt because you're you're basically buying a I guess a, a reliable stock and and hoping it you know goes a little bit higher, uh, you know, and buying it at a discount and hoping it goes a little bit higher. So I think that's pretty smart for the world. So I don't you know it was a little surprising move, but I'm not uh, I, I kind of like the idea, kind of thinking outside the box and, and figuring, you know what, if we're not going to get a great prospect from Aldonado, we might as well take a flyer on a pitcher who's not pitching very well and see if we can turn him around. Now, yeah, the one, the the one thing that the one issue, the one biggest sticking point is though, just the age. That's what's really Mm -hmm. like, if he was 26 or 27, you know, he might not have been available, but him being 28 or 30, that's like the big, like, ah, okay. That makes a little more kind of gray on the areas. And you do have to wonder, too, with the shoulder injuries he's had. And shoulder injuries, I think, tend to not be as scary as elbow or forearms. But, you know, you do have to – you just get a little bit of damaged goods. And and, and maybe that's a reason to, to buy low on him. But, but it also could be something that is a problem going forward. Well, um, Maldonado wasn't the only veteran on the Royals to get moved this week. Uh, the Royals also cut ties with reliever Willie Peralta on Saturday. It came just hours after Peralta gave up three runs against the Indians to balloon his ERA to 5.80. It was also a game where that featured kind of a bizarre exchange where Peralta seemed to bark at young catcher Mabers Valoria. Later, they said that uh, you know he has he just wanted to get Valoria the he wanted Valoria to give up the signs a little bit earlier. But either way, you know uh, the Royals parted ways with him. And Craig Ned Yost denied that that exchange had anything to do with his release. But do you do you buy that, or or is it maybe just all performance based at this point? Uh, I don't buy any of that explanation. <laughs> I, I mean. It, it, you know, they've, they've run with Peralta for, for so long. And I mean, it's not, I mean, yeah, at some point you got to cut bay with the guy. He just gave them an excuse to do it. And then the Royals kind of ducked out of the way of, of that excuse. I, I mean, it, 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 it's not a coincidence. And also, you know, watching the, uh, the highlights that are on MLB.com of that, 
they've got the radio broadcast and they also have the the play-by-play on the royal side uh lefevre physioc stewart all those guys were just kind of incredulous that that was going on they all pointed out you know the, the camera panned to ned yost in the dugout they cut to that um he was you know kind of you know confused and looked upset by what was going on uh you know but when when the uh when the org guys on the broadcast are ripping a player uh like they were um Peralta in that instance the writing is extremely on the wall at that point so uh you know I I just I keep going back to you know they restructured his contract last year I'm not entirely sure why they felt the need to do that it added a little bit of money to his to, to the overhead overall kind of you know kind of beside the point though but again it's just it's another example of the Royals throwing some money after a player that that you know didn't perform all that well last year uh, and you know gave him kind of more of the same this year uh, so it's you know I definitely time for him to move on so uh, you know I a good move overall, but yeah, let's let's not pretend that uh, that that incident had nothing to do with it because I, I think that that was just kind of the the reason that the Royals were looking for. Yeah, and Sean, I think it was pretty telling that like less than an hour after the game, Alec Lewis was reporting that Josh Stalmont was being called up. I don't think that was an accident. Uh, so you know, how do you kind of sum up the Willie Peralta tenure in Kansas City? Uh, I'm going to use my. I'm going to. I'm going to plead the, the, my Fifth Amendment you know, of Constitution. I'm going to uh, not indict myself any further than my issues with Peralta. No, I don't know. It's It's been what it's been, a failed experiment. Um, what are you going to do? I mean, you know, you they didn't pay very much to get him to begin with. Um, it, you know, it wasn't like it was a huge cost, and it didn't work out. Um, this is kind of what you want a rebuilding team to do is kind of take these flyers on them. Um, I don't know if Peralta would have been the guy I would have taken a flyer on, but at least you know that he was uh, a flyer, and it is what it is. And they're and they're doing what we were hoping they would do the whole time is get rid of the older guys and then call up uh, a younger guy, and that's what they've done with Stamont um, or Jorge Lopez, whatever. According to Physioc, they're one and the same. So. <laughs> uh, refer referencing that uh, Steve Physioc calling uh, Jorge Lopez Josh Stamont for almost an entire inning <laughs> last game. Uh, yeah, so it does seem like they're getting younger and fleshing out some of the, I guess, uh, older guys that aren't really cutting it. Um, one guy who is cutting it who could also be on the way out soon, though, is Jake Diekman. And it seems like he's probably the next Royals player to get traded next. And according to Jeffrey Flanagan, he's drawn some interest from the Dodgers and Nationals. The Phillies and Braves each had a scout to look at him. And I think the Pirates, Rangers, and, and Rays could also be interested as well. And Craig, you know, Jake Diekman is a... You know, his, his ERA doesn't look that great, but it seems like he still has some of what other teams may want. What kind of – is there a kind of haul that you're looking for with Jake Diekman, or is it just kind of like anything we can get at this point? Yeah, I don't – I mean, you know, I know that Sean dabbles in the prospects a lot more than I do, and, and I just – you know, I'm, I'm thinking I, – I, when I approach these kind of trades, I go, well, you know, this guy's going to maybe net the Royals a C-level prospect. Uh, that's kind of what I'm what I'm feeling uh, about Diekman. You know, I mean, yeah, there's there's room for for a lefty reliever who's striking out over 13 per nine, um, but you know, he also you know walks more than his share. He's performing. Um, yeah, you know, the ERA is is elevated, but like his his strand rate is pretty low. It should be a, a little bit higher. 
Uh, maybe, you know, a little bit unlucky in the sequencing as far as he goes. Uh, you know, I, I think that the, the Royals, you know, can definitely find a buyer. They should definitely find a buyer or, uh, a, yeah, a buyer. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, that it would be uh, quite the upset if he was still on the roster uh, at, at when the trade deadline rolls past. Uh, really, no matter you know what the what the prospect the Royals get, I dangle them out there, you know, ignite a bidding war, and, and see if you can turn a C prospect into a C plus B minus type prospect. And last year he was traded from the Diamondbacks to the Rangers for, or sorry, the Rangers to the Diamondbacks uh, for pitcher uh, Wei J Huang, uh, who was like a 24 year old Double A, and uh, a 19 year old pitcher by the name of Joshua Javier. And neither of them were like on the top thirty list uh, for for the uh, 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 Diamondbacks at any point. So, yeah, I think we're looking at probably C level prospects. And Sean, like if if you're kind of like looking among the the non elite prospects, like the C level prospects, what should the Royals be looking for with that kind of talent? I mean, are you looking for any particular skill or age or what? What's kind of your? Do you have any kind of like guidelines on what you should be looking for when you're talking about the non elite players here? No, I mean, like, the, the Cashner trade was a good one, where it was like the Orioles got two random, not random, but two 17-year-olds that are in the rookie league that, you know, they I forget how much they signed for, but I think it was like 60000 70000 So it was a total flyer. And I, I always kind of like those kind of guys. They don't pay off that well. Um, but when you're tr- trying to turn a 31 or 32 or, you know, even a 30-year-old um, into something – Getting someone that's 17 that is still somewhat raw, um, I, I like that idea a little bit. Uh, I don't know what the heck Diekman's going to go for. Like his his fifth is actually better, actually worse against lefties this year um, than against righties. And like, yeah, the walks have been crazy, but the strikeouts are nice. So I I don't know. Like the baseball trade value kind of machine, um, the the website that I think is really good use useful resource it has him as like a positive three or four million dollar value but i just i I, that's like a 40 or 45 future value prospects i'm like man that seems a little steep so i don't know i really have no idea what he's going to go for i think he gets traded um but i I, man i don't know i would prefer yeah kind of a a low low minors kind of type um instead of like a kelvin a kelvin a kevin merrill type and it seems like every year about this time relief help is is needed everywhere uh and so i do and it sounds like you know according to flanagan there's a lot of teams interested in him uh i was talking to rj anderson of cbs sports before this and you know i was asking him is there a possibility that deekman gets kind of overlooked because there are a lot of relievers kind of out in that market right now and he said no that there's always going to be kind of a niche for him but but here's some of the relievers that i i guess just that from i'm reading from like you know different sources that could be available i mean you're looking at Closers like Shane Green of the Tigers, Ken Giles of the Blue Jays, Will Smith of the Giants. Uh, so, you know, that's a level higher than, than what um, Diekman is. M- um, Mikhail Givens of the Orioles as well. Uh, so he's probably going to be more in the class with like Tony Watson, um, uh, Rowenus Elias of the Mariners. Uh, so, you know, I, there are other alternates, alternatives out there, I guess, but uh, there always seems to be a lot of teams that need a guy like that. So I guess I'm pretty... I got optimistic the Royals can get something for him. Now, how much they get for him, you know, we'll see. I, you know, I'm not, my expectations are super high, um, especially since he hasn't pitched particularly well the last couple of weeks. But, um, you know, that's just looking at ERA. And I know teams look 
further beyond that, and, and the velocity still looks good, and is he's still getting a lot of swing and miss uh, out there. So, uh, you know, we'll see what the Royals can do. Um, another reliever that could get some interest is Ian Kennedy, uh, and he has revived his career a little bit this year with a 3.35 ERA and 17 saves. But, of course, a big obstacle with him is about the $20 million or so that's owed him over the next year and a half. And, Sean, you wrote a little bit about how much the Royals would have to eat on that contract just to have a possibility to move him. And what what's, what was kind of your finding in that analysis? Yeah, um, I had the break even. So, like, uh, a point where you would have no surplus, effectively. Um, it was at the Royals pay about 50%. It was almost perfect. Just paid half the contract. Um, probably more like 55% is right where it's at. Um, so I, the question really is how much are they going to eat? Um, historically, they haven't. Historically, $12 million sounds like a lot, and it probably will be. Uh, I think Travis Wood, I don't remember how much he was owed, but it feels like it was somewhere-ish around there. Eight, eight million, remember? I think, wasn't it? It was eight. Okay, okay. Um, so you could see a stretch from eight to 12. Uh, I know it's like 50% more, but um, it's – it's reasonable that you could see that they would eat some, uh, but I just think that 12 million ish or call it 12.5, which is really the kind of the break even. I think that's probably too rich. So, I, I mean, I, I could see them definitely paying 10 or so. I think that makes about um, right sense. It's going to leave negative surplus. Um, and there's been some ideas bad around, at least in the Royals Twitterverse of packaging a Deakman and Kennedy together, um, paying down a little bit. That way you get a little surplus out of it. Um, but I think those have been the two common ideas. So I don't know. I think I think Kennedy, you could see them eat a little bit of his contract, but we'll have to see how much exactly. And if they do decide they want to eat as much money as it takes, I mean, what are we talking about? A pretty good prospect here? Or is it still maybe a guy no, outside of I the think, top 20? Yeah. I mean, I think you'll get a team's top 20, sure. I mean, depends on the org, obviously. Uh, but, I mean, I still think people haven't – you could pay down a contract a lot, but then I, one, you've got Kennedy in his first year as a reliever. Um, my gosh, let me see how many innings it's been. Uh, 40 innings. Uh, so first you've kind of got to get over that. People have to understand, oh, is it repeatable? Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, I don't judge ERA by relievers, but, you know, as you mentioned, some teams do. And the 3.35 is okay for a reliever. Um, the 2.25 FIP is pretty good. Um, but, of course, if you look at his, his ex-FIP, it's 3.66. So it's kind of like, ah, he's probably getting a little lucky on fly balls. And we know fly balls and home runs, excuse me, have always been an issue for Kennedy. So I think I think a team is going to request a little bit of money, obviously, to be paid. And still, I think because you've got another year and, you know, Kennedy's going to be 35 next year. So it's not as if he's like Montgomery, who's 30. Um, so I, I think teams are going to be hesitant to pay too much. But top 20 prospect, again, depending on the org, yeah, I think that's that's reasonable. Maybe not the Padres top twenty or the Rays top twenty, but I think of like the Dodgers top twenty. You could see that, or um, she was I thinking that needs uh, uh, like the Twins, you know, an org that really needs kind of some help with relievers. I think you could see that. Now, Craig, you you followed the Royals longer than I have actually, and and you know that money's always been a big, pretty big concern for the Royals throughout the years. Can you see the Royals eating anywhere near that kind of money to move Kennedy? Can can Dayton Moore convince the Glass family to pay another team to have their to have to pay another team to have their player uh, just to get a good prospect in return? Max, I think you just took a shot at my age. Which <laughs> I mean, come on, we're the same generation, but, uh, I think. <laughs> um, you know. It, 
I, I'm I'm with with Sean. You know, it, it's it's just it's hard to see the Royals doing that. And and for the for the name that you just threw out there, I, I mean, the Royals have have already tossed quite a bit of money, you know, onto the uh, on, onto what I called the free agent funeral pyre uh, this year. Uh, you know, with you know Chris Owings. Um, Brad Boxberger, now Peralta. I mean, none of these guys, of course, on their own is breaking the bank. None of these guys together is breaking the bank. But it's still, you know, a lot of failed contracts. And Kennedy, of course, you know, is just how much more money do you want to absorb for guys who aren't playing for you anymore? Even though you're using that money to buy another prospect or a better grade of prospect, I'm not entirely sold that the Royals' ownership looks at it that way. Um, which is, you know, obviously the way that they probably should be looking at it. Uh, the another thing about Kennedy, though, that, that really uh, I'm I'm sold on him, or I'm very bullish on him as a closer. I, you know, uh, there may be some disagreement here about that, but I'm I'm feeling that that you know he's got it, or you know that that is. Uh, you know, a very high ceiling as, as a closer. Uh, I just, I like what he's done this year. I like the changes that he's made. I like the fact that he's striking out almost 11 guys per nine, that he's cut his walk rate. But, you know, now, you know, Sean touched on this also, you know, uh, talking about FIP and XFIP, he's kept the ball in the ballpark, which is amazing for Ian Kennedy. Um, so, you know, I, I think that if the Royals were to even hold on to him, kept him in that closer role, built a little more value, even though a team that would acquire him next year would, would have, you know, less opportunity to, to hold on to him because of the, of the contract. But I, I think that the, that there's an opportunity that he could maybe hold the value that he would have now, or perhaps even improve upon it. I think that there's an interesting dynamic at play here. Uh, you know, the Royals, I could see them gambling. They would have to eat maybe less of the contract. Uh, uh, next year, they could, you know, allow him to build a little more value. Again, it's a gamble because, you know, as, as we said, it's forty innings as a closer, and 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 he didn't even start the season in in, in that role. So, um, you know, he's had limited time doing it. Can he keep doing it? I think he can. If the Royals think he can, it might be a smart move to to hang on to him for a little bit. And, uh, otherwise, a team right now in contention could maybe be buying low a, a real savvy team could come in and, and pick them up and, and ride them for you know a year and a half in, the, in, in a setup role or, or even a closer role yeah i wanted to say his his fastball this year has been just so good ridiculous and he's up two miles per hour it's amazing. Yeah. yeah he's totally ditched the change up and it's just added to the fastball and it's been command's been great on it like i said it's up another two miles per hour i mean there, yeah, I mean, there's some good positive indicators that it's like, hey, different pitch mix. He knows he can just go out there and pound it. Doesn't have to worry about, you know, going seven, eight innings. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's been some good noticeable changes. And I, I can see it's not like he's just dancing on some peripherals. Like, there's there's a lot of good momentum. It's, the big thing, obviously, is the fastball being two miles per hour on average higher um, has just has changed kind of who he is as a pitcher a little bit. Now – He's 34, so we'll see how long that lasts. But I mean, you you might be able to find a hidden gem in a pitcher who, at 34, gained velocity two miles to, at least too. Yeah, and I think what really gives me hope, I guess, at the deadline is that relievers are always in such demand. And it, you know, you look around baseball, 
you know, you think the Royals bullpen has been bad this year. There have been a lot of bad bullpens around baseball, especially from some contenders. I mean, the Nationals have had bullpen blowups all year. The Cubs have had some issues. I mean, there are a lot of teams out there that could use, you know, a guy in seventh inning, eighth inning role, maybe even a guy that could fill in as closer if, you know, and, and obviously Kennedy doesn't have a long track record of doing that, but he's, you know, a team that's desperate enough to start the year with Trevor Rosenthal as our closer uh, might be willing to take a chance on Ian Kennedy uh, because he has closed out several games this year. So I think that does give me a lot of hope and, and uh, we'll see. I, you know, Sam Mellinger, I think made a really good point. I was listening to him on, I think eight ten this morning and, you know, he's talking about how the Royals have made serious investments in, in prospects in the international, in the international market, in the draft before. And they need to just kind of look at this as like another investment in, in, in prospects by eating this money, eating 12 million, 14 million, whatever they need to do to get a good prospects. And really they're not even spending new money. It's money that already has to be spent. They are spending $20 million on Ian Kennedy, no matter what, why not just get a good prospect out of it and make that money work for you a little bit more. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Hopefully they can get that message across to ownership uh, because there really is no reason not to move Kennedy and eat that money. So Hopefully cooler heads will prevail and, and the Royals can get a pretty good prospect for him because I think I think they could, you know, maybe not a great prospect, but hey, I'll take a top 20 prospect uh, and add it to the system, to a system that I think is getting, you know, deeper and deeper uh, uh, all the time. So we'll see. Uh, before we kind of close things out, we're, we're a little bit over a week away from the, the, the only trade deadline this year. It'll be July, July 31st. Uh, so I just want to get your guys' uh, assessments maybe on the record here about what percent chance do you think each of these Royals players has of getting traded by July 31st? So when I say trade, I mean, you know, swap with another team. It could be for cash considerations. I'll, I'll count that. But I don't mean a, an outright release or a designated for assignment or anything like that. It has to be a trade. So let's go through some of the, I think, most likely trade candidates, and I'll get your guys' opinions on, on, on who gets traded. We'll start with the guy we just talked about, Jake Diekman. Uh, a lot of interest in him right now. Craig, what's what's your feeling on the percent chance that Jake Diekman gets traded by July 31st? Well, there's a little bit of uncertainty in life. I will go with 95%. Wow. I mean, this is a this, this is a, a dead certain lock as you have on this current roster. John? Um, just real quick. Just, uh, did you say cash consideration works or not? Yeah, cash consideration okay. works. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, Craig's right. Uh, 95, I mean, at least 95, uh, there's, there's no reason to not trade him even for cash considerations. I, I'm going to even, I'll even go a hundred percent. I'll, I'll risk it. I'll risk it to get the biscuit. I'll do a hundred percent. Guarantee that Jake Diekman is traded and gone by July 31st. I'll, I'll say 90% just because you never know the, the, the Royals maybe asked for too much early on and. The, you know, other teams fulfill their needs with Tony Watson and all these other guys that are out there and the Royals are left holding the bag. I mean, it's happened before, I think. So there's always I rarely, I rarely do this, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to use one of them. I'm going to tweet out right now that I will print this tweet out and eat it if Jake <laughs> Diekman does not get traded. Oh, I'm boy. Doing it. Now I'm kind of rooting against the trade. Don't make me root against a Jake Diekman trade. <laughs> all right, how about uh, the other guy we just talked about, Ian Kennedy. Of course, this would probably take the Royals eating some money, but what's the likelihood that Ian Kennedy gets traded? Uh, Craig? I'm going to go 15% on Ian Kennedy. I, I just I, I don't see it because of, of the amount of money that the Royals will have to eat. I, I was going to say 15% as well. Uh, it, didn't seem, uh, it didn't seem likely that the Royals were going to eat the kind of money that it takes to move him. Uh, Sean, what, are, you, are you a little bit higher on Ian Kennedy? Would you, you put, what'd you say, Max? 15% as well. 
Yeah, you guys are so pessimistic all the time. <laughs> um, unlike, you, I'll, unlike Sean. I know. I'll say th- no. I'll say thirty percent. I like a little bit more than fifteen percent. Double was kind of pushing it, but I'll say thirty percent. I, I could see it. If you if you had to say like how much the the Royals end up eating in that, I guess. Uh, uh eight million. I think eight million is eight probably million about right. I think right. the precedent was set with Wood. Yeah. Uh, how about Billy Hamilton? I think everyone kind of thought that you know he'd have a lot of offers out there as a speedster. Uh, and he hasn't really hit well, but he he's still run pretty well. He can have uh, value on defense as well. Sean, we'll start with Sean this time. What's the likelihood that Billy Hamlin gets gets traded, not designated for assignment or released or anything? Like oh, I uh, yeah, I was thinking about this one when you asked originally. Um, I settled, man, I settled on sixty percent, uh, but I feel like it's now thinking about it. I think it's more fifty fifty. The problem is I could just see him being DFA'd because nobody mm-hmm. wants him because uh, he was effectively DFA'd by the Reds this offseason when he was non-tendered. Um, so I'm going to say 50%. And Craig? Uh, I'm going to go 75%. I mean, I, I I think, unfortunately, though, for the Royals, they tipped their hand by calling Bubba uh, Starling up. And, uh, you know, that, and, and there's just not a market. For him, uh, even though there there should be a market for a guy uh, with speed and defense, so if if they swing that trade, it's probably a cash considerations type deal. Very low level prospect, very low. Yeah, there seems to be like this notion that um, Hamilton is there is a market for Hamilton. I mean, I've seen a lot of national writers even say like, yeah. there's a market for Hamilton. I guess I'm pretty skeptical. I had a 25. percent I think that teams don't value speed that much and i know the yankees got terrence gore but you know that was a cash considerations deal uh and gore's faster than hamilton and and also you can stash gore in the minors until the postseason whereas hamilton you know you kind of have to keep around as your fourth or fifth outfielder for the next couple months here and he's not you know he doesn't make a lot of money but he's you have to pay him a million and a half over the last two months i i don't know i mean Gerard Dyson's also out there on the free as, as a trade candidate as well, and he's yeah. a much more you know much superior player who can also run and you know give you speed and defense. Uh, so I, I guess I'd be a little surprised to see Hamilton dealt uh, for, and, and if he does, if he is traded, it'll be for cash considerations. But I'm yeah I'm I'm low on I think just twenty five percent chance, and I think mm-hmm. I think the Royals end up releasing him on August first, but. Yeah, well, he's. I was gonna say he's off the August first. He will not be on the right. roster for whatever reason. But how he well, gets off the, yeah, that's the. Well, wait a minute. I I will say August first. He shouldn't be on the roster. Oh, but true. Yeah. they've kept Lucas Duda on the roster all year. They kept Terrence Gore on the roster for three months. Their roster management is not that predictable. So, uh, let's talk. Let's talk about Lucas Duda real quick, just for uh, you know, for fun. Uh, what's the what's the odds that Lucas Duda gets traded this year? Uh, I'll I'll take that one as zero because you eliminated the option of us to have you know designated for assignment, yeah. which is which is the the, the direction that the Royals are going to have to go with this one too. I mean, it's just it's you know last year was cash considerations. This year the performance is even worse. There's there's just absolutely no market for him. It's just confounding why he's still on the roster, especially in light, if you read the, the quotes from Ned Yost calling the Peralta release saying, you know, hey, he's a veteran not getting it done, so it's time <laughs> to go for the younger players. So, you know, you, you immediately shift your focus to Duda. He's a goner, but uh, it's a 0% chance of any kind of a trade. It's just, um, it's really just baffling why he's on the roster. I mean, like, 
are, are they looking for a trade for him? I, you know, even like uh, someone asked Jeffrey Flanagan in his mail, mailbag column today, like, you know, why is Lucas Duda on this roster? And, and Flanagan seemed kind of perplexed, too. He's like, you know, people talk about his clubhouse presence, but he's a pretty quiet dude. I don't know. You know, maybe he's, you know, tutoring, tutoring yeah. him under his wing. But, uh, you know, it, it doesn't seem like he's a rah-rah guy. If Flanny can't spin it, it's unspinable. <laughs> and Flanny's a great guy. Yeah, you know, and I, yeah, I, I love his writing, yeah. but yeah, he's pretty, pretty uh, positive about these players. And then if he can't find a reason for Duda, I don't know why Duda's on this roster. All right, let's go to the big one. Whit Merrifield. Uh, there's been some talk. I mean, a lot of Cubs fans have wanted him on their team. I think there's probably a couple other teams that could really use a guy like Whit Merrifield. But of course, the Royals. I mean, there's been a report that. They're asking for three major league ready players. Now that could just be posturing, but obviously they're asking price. It's going to be pretty high. So Craig, Whit Merrifield, face of the franchise, Royals All Star, does he get traded uh, by July thirty first? What's the percent percent chance he's gone? That one at five percent. Uh, just, just I, I think that the yeah the Royals rightfully need to be overwhelmed. I don't think that they're going to be overwhelmed and so he's he's on the roster for the foreseeable future with this team so uh, my son can go ahead and buy his Whit Merrifield jersey and feel safe knowing that he will remain a royal throughout August Sean are you also going to rush out and buy a Whit Merrifield jersey because you know he's not going to get traded yeah we'd say I must be the only one I must be a Sith here because I'm dealing on absolutes with 100% (laughs) And zero percent. There's zero percent chance Merrifield will be traded. I, I'm not going to print that tweet out either because I don't want to stack the cards too much against me on all this. But I, I absolutely do not think he's being traded. Um, I saw an interesting idea. I won't take credit for it. I saw an interesting idea on Twitter that, um, like with Dozier turning good and now Lopez has been promoted. The college pitchers boom a little quickly. I think that they are not going to trade him because they think their timeline is a little more concrete. Yeah, that um, makes sense in the next two, three, four years. Um, so I, 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 in the future, Merrifield, yes, could be traded, but in the next eight, nine days, no. Yeah. I, that, 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 I, sorry, Max, I, I wanted to just jump in because I, I was thinking along those same kind of lines earlier tonight, just uh, about Merrifield and, and timelines and, and how these timelines are kind of fluid. And when you've got a guy with, with that kind of, you know, team control, and now that he signed his his deal, so he's also locked in financially. You've got a, a tremendous amount of value that you know on on the trade market, conceivably. But also, you know, what happens if that timeline shifts? It doesn't always make sense to if you have that guy start shopping him around immediately because you know things can happen. I you know the Royals right now are. These prospects, the, the the arms that they got last year in the draft, are all performing quite well. Uh, I think that you know when you when you talk about you know the top five all being college arms, you're thinking well maybe they get two to hit. If they're really lucky, they get three. Right now, all five are you know looking like hey they're developing you know at varying paces, but they're all developing, and so that's a really positive development uh, uh, for for the team. So you know it's like. Where's the urgency to trade them? Unless you are completely blown away by a deal. And teams, of course, now are valuing their prospects way, way higher than they have in the past. And so, you know, that's why I just, you know, again, it, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense for the Royals to, to move him at this point, even if you've got that big haul. You would have to be completely overwhelmed. Can I, real quick, can I pour one out for Merrifield? Because I... 
the dude is has been screwed over so much with. I'm not gonna. It's hard to feel pity for someone who's gonna be, you know, obviously a multimillionaire. But the dude is basically going to finish his career probably only making $16 million, which is what some guys make in, like, ARB 4. Um, <laughs> it's like, dude, and I don't know, just because he has got he was called up so late, then he signed that contract. Anyways. I, Jorge Soler made that in his first four years as a professional. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, poor, I just was thinking about that. Poor wit. I mean, like I said, it's tough to say woe is me, but that dude should be earning a lot more. Anyways. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with you guys' takes. I think. I, I, I think that's a really astute observation that they could be moving up the timeline at least a little bit just and, and thinking that he could be a part of that next competitive Royals team or at least kind of be a bridge to the, the players that will be there uh, and maybe kind of help turn things over. So uh, for that reason, I think, and, and also there's that that big offer, it's probably not out there. I mean, I think many people have said that. Sam Ellinger said it. You know, Craig, you said it. They're looking for three major league ready players, and that's probably posturing. They'll, they'll probably take two major league ready players, and a, you know, or three really good prospects. But teams aren't going to give that up for Merrifield. You know, he's a really great player, and I think he could help a lot of teams. And I think there are probably some teams that probably should at least consider that. But um, you know, when you're t- talking about trading away major league ready players, you're probably making your team worse. Unless it's a guy like Ian Happ of the Cubs, who is major league ready, but you know, he was a good rookie, but has really struggled since then. I don't think that's quite what the Royals are looking for, at least not as a headliner. So that deal is probably not there. I'd put it like 15% just because the Royals may be kind of bluffing a little bit and they may just take a really good deal rather than three major league ready players. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, there's no motivation for them to. Uh, obviously, I think they'd be very happy uh, holding on to him and seeing if he can still be a very productive player through the rebuild and, and kind of be that bridge guy. So, um, yeah, I don't think what Merrifield's going anywhere and, uh, I think we're gonna we're all we'll all be wearing our Whit Merrifield jerseys come 2020, 2020 opening day at least. Um, let's talk, how about Jorge Soler? Uh, he's having a career year, uh, has a chance to break the single season club for home run record, uh, but he's also a designated hitter. Doesn't really fit into you know kind of with the the speed and defense theme that the Royals want to do. Sean, um, does Jorge Soler get moved by July thirty first? What's your percent? He's got two more years, right? I believe he has Wait. two years. Was it three? I always forget now. He's and he's got like two years under. He's got a couple yes. years on his contract, but then I think he can opt, or then he goes into arbitration. And that, he's almost certainly going to opt out of his contract this year. Yeah, I'm thinking that's. Inc- I'm thinking that. So Fangraph says 2022, which is the, would, yeah. of 2022, yeah, right? So Twenty. So okay. he would be under club control the next two years. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um. So the, half of this year. No, yeah, so two and a half years. Yeah, yep. okay. Um, yeah, I think he's. I think he sticks around, too. Um, I think that because – so the chances so – I think I think he sticks around because this is so far, fingers crossed, it's his first full season. Um, he's a, he's eclipsed the amount of plate appearances he had in 2015 uh, in the majors where he went 404, now he's at 416. Um, so this has been his first – you know, this is the furthest into a single season he's gotten in the major leagues, at least. So I, I don't think they're ready to flip him just yet. I think, I think they're going to hope that that ball can continue. That'll be healthier. And if they do trade him, it'll be next winter, uh, or excuse me, next um, either the end of this winter or next year. So I'm going to say zero percent on this one as well. Craig, are we going to lose Solaire power this year? Yeah, no, I think Solaire power burns bright in the Royals' blue uh, this year. 
I just I don't really see a market developing for him. I mean, for the reasons that you said, you know, you got a guy designated hitter. All right, we just cut his potential market in half. Uh, right-handed power bat. There's you know plenty of power uh, in the game these days. Uh, just you know, it just doesn't seem like there's a lot of that are that are kicking the tires on on solar power, solar power, and uh, I, I I will put that you know again. Uh, I'm anti dealing in absolutes, so I'll put that at uh, let's go six percent, a little bit higher than than the uh, the odds of Whit Merrifield, but pretty much no chance that he's traded. I think the Royals are open to moving him. I think um, I don't think they've been enamored with the Jorge Soler experience so far. He's been hurt a lot. The defense, you know, I thought they probably thought they can make they can make him at least passable in the outfield, and that just hasn't panned out so far. So I think. If there was a really good deal out there that they could get for him, I think they would probably take it, um, especially if it's for like a pitcher or something like that. But I don't, yeah, I don't know what his market is. I don't. That kind of player just doesn't really seem to have a whole lot of trade value right now. Uh, you know, I saw some people. The Rays had interest in Hunter Pence as a DH. Uh, there was a trade rumor going around this week, and people said, "Oh, maybe they wouldn't be interested in Jorge Soler since he's he's you know fairly cheap, and the Rays are you know they're known for being frugal, but." Solaire is not going to be really that cheap next year. He's probably going to make, you know, seven, eight million, I guess, in arbitration. Um, and, you know, he'd be a DH only. And I think they like Hunter Pence because he's a rental and they wouldn't have to pay him next year. Uh, they can kind of start start new and go for another cheaper option at DH. So I don't think he's really their kind of player. I don't, I just, in you know, obviously only 14 other teams in the American League would be even remotely interested in him. And a lot of those teams aren't even contending. So his market's going to be very limited. Uh, so I just don't, yeah, I put it like 10%. I don't see Jorge Soler getting moved. And, um, you know, the Royals probably do need a, a power bat in the middle of the lineup. And, and maybe if they feel like the, the you know, the, the rebuild is going to be accelerated, maybe he is actually part of the future. We'll see. Uh, but I don't see him getting traded at the deadline. So uh, we'll see if our predictions end up panning out and the Royals end up moving in these players. But uh, it sounds like Jake Diekman, we all seem to be in agreement, is going to be the most likely player traded. Hopefully the Royals, you know, do have a chance to improve the team, at least in the long term. And uh, we'll have to see what they end up doing. But uh, that'll do it for our show tonight. A big shout out to RJ Anderson of CBS Sports for being our guest. And thanks to Sean Newkirk and Craig Brown for being on the show today. And thank you, readers and listeners, for visiting our site and listening to our podcast. And we'll talk to you next time. Hey!